Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Focus on a king who thought he was the greatest. He had an army that was bigger than the armies of any other king that he knew, and his soldiers were better trained than the soldiers of any other king that he knew. And uh, if you went into his treasure house, he had more gold and silver than any other king that he knew, and he had conquered more surrounding kingdoms than any other king that he knew, and his palace was just fantastic. His palace was so beautiful that today we still know it as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so he had the best palace of any king that he knew And he just thought he was the greatest, he was the best, he was the cat's meow. And um, the problem was that this king did not have a relationship with God. And uh, all of the things, all of the good things that he had enjoyed were gifts of God's grace and he didn't even know it. He thought he had done it all himself and he didn't give God the praise and the honor and the glory that God deserved. And um, fortunately for him, God was merciful to him and he desired to bring this king to repentance. And so he began a work in this king's life And the first thing that he did was he sent this king a dream. And in the dream, this king saw this great big giant statue. And as he looked at the statue, the head of the statue was made out of gold and the uh, chest and the arms of the statue were made out of silver and, and the belly and the thighs of the statue were made out of bronze and the legs of the statue were made out of iron and, and the feet of the statue were made out of iron mixed with clay. And then a great big rock was cut out of the mountain and came down and smashed the statue into pieces so small that the wind could just blow it all away. And then the rock that had smashed the statue grew up and filled the entire earth. And the king was quite disturbed by the dream and had no idea what it meant. And uh, none of, he thought he had the wisest men in the world too. He thought he had wiser, wise men than all of the other kings on the earth. They didn't know what the dream meant. And then the Lord sent him a young man who told him that this dream is a picture of God's plan for history. And God has a plan where there'll be a series of kingdoms. Your kingdom is a head of gold and there'll be another kingdom that will replace you that will be the uh, chest and arms of silver and uh, another kingdom will replace that one that will be the 
uh, belly and the thighs of bronze, and another kingdom will replace that one that will uh, be the legs of iron, and then that kingdom will kind of uh, get dissipated and become like iron mixed with clay. But ultimately, God's kingdom is going to do away with all earthly kingdoms, and God is going to reign for all of eternity. And so the king, um, the dream was so powerful. He took that kind of seriously for a while. But after a while, he didn't really like, he really didn't like that dream. He really didn't like the picture that he got in the dream. And so he decided that he was going to try to do some creative rewriting of God's plan for history. And so what he did is he built a statue of his own. And it was 90 feet high and uh, nine feet wide and the entire statue was made out of gold because he didn't want any silver or bronze or iron or iron mixed with clay, much less God's kingdom coming in to take away his kingdom. He wanted his kingdom to last forever and ever. And it wasn't enough that he wanted his kingdom to last forever and ever. He wanted everybody else to want his kingdom to last forever and ever. And so he said, what we're going to do is I'm going to have my orchestra play and everybody needs to bow down and worship my statue. You all have to buy into my plans for the future. You all have to serve what I think ought to be done. And so the orchestra played and everybody bowed down except for three guys. And the king was pretty mad. He said, bring those guys to me. And they came over helped by some soldiers. And uh, I'm going to give you one more chance because I'm a nice guy. And so the orchestra is going to play again. When it plays, you better bow down. Bow or burn. Because I've got a fire started in that furnace over there. And if you don't bow down when the orchestra plays, you're going to get burned in that fire. And so the three young men said, you know, our God is powerful enough that if he so desires, he can deliver us from that furnace. But he's so powerful and he's so good, we're not going to tell him what he has to do. And so, even if he decides that we need to be burned up in that furnace, we're good with that. We're not going to bow down to your statue, no matter what you do. Well, then the king got really, really mad. And um, he did something that was a little bit counterintuitive. Well, not only counterintuitive, it was pretty stupid. Uh, anyway, he said, heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it is right now. 
Now, if I was going to go get thrown into a furnace, I might prefer to get thrown into one that was burning hot than one that was just smoldering. I mean, if you're going to get thrown into a furnace, let it be over as quickly as possible. And so uh, he's kind of doing these three guys a favor, but he's not thinking straight. He's so mad. And so um, this furnace, they've got a bellows on it. And so he's got his servants pumping the bellows as hard as they can. He's got other servants and they're throwing wood into the furnace. Seven times hotter. Um, you know, we tend to think of seven times hotter as, well, you know, the furnace is now 700 degrees, so we've got to heat it up to 4,900 degrees. But uh, um, seven times hotter means as hot as that furnace is capable of being in uh, the context of the ancient world, they'd use seven times for the complete hottest that you can make that furnace be. And so his servants are all busy making that furnace be the complete hottest that they can possibly make that furnace be. And then he has the soldiers rip the clothes off the guys and tie them up with their own clothes. And so the guys are all laying there on the ground and their hands are tied with their trousers and their feet are tied with their turbans and, and they're laying there on the ground. And finally, the servants say, okay, we've got the furnace just as hot as she's ever gonna be. Look at the brick walls, they're glowing red. The furnace is not getting any hotter. It's time to throw those guys in. And so he orders the soldiers to go throw the guys in. And so the soldiers pick the guys up and they say, okay, whoa, man, this is pretty hot. Now you take the top and I'll take the feet. And when we go one, two, three, you know, there's two of us for each of the guys. So we got six of us. And when we say three, you quick open the door and we'll toss them in and back off. And so they go one, two, three. And as they open the door, the flames shoot out of the furnace, kills the six guys that are throwing the three guys into the furnace. And the three guys land in the furnace. And the king, he's got a hole in the side of the furnace where they usually scrape out the ashes and he's looking through the hole, not expecting to see very much, but he is really surprised because he sees those three guys in the furnace and they're not all tied up anymore. They're standing up and they've got their clothes back on and they're walking around in the flames like nothing's going on. And there's a fourth guy in the furnace. And he looks like the son of God. And so the king calls for the three guys to come out of the furnace. And they come walking out. And you can't even smell the smoke on their clothes. And they've still got their eyebrows and everything. And uh, he's really impressed. And uh, he acknowledges, yes, your God is the most high God. And so it's a step on that king's journey toward knowing the Lord. Now I have to tell you, it's not the final step because uh, we're in Daniel chapter three today. I, I shared Daniel two and Daniel three. King needs another lesson in Daniel four, but We'll focus on the lesson in Daniel 3 today because it's a step along the way, a little bit closer to the king coming to know the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 3, we have 30 verses. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I just want to kind of zoom in and focus 
on some highlights of the chapter. And so we start out again in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3. And as we prepare to look at God's word, and hopefully if I made any mistakes in telling the story, uh, then we'll get those corrected as we look through his words. So uh, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are the ruler of all mankind. You are in control of history. And you are in control of each one of us. And Lord, even though we've sinned against you, you've set your love on us. And you've redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we look into your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding of what you've revealed here and that it would help to transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. I ask in his name. Amen. So we're going to pick up at the point where he decides to build the statue. And uh, that's in verse 1. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And of course in chapter 2 it's telling about the dream that he has where he saw the image that God had revealed to him. And he made his image then after he knew about what God's plan for history was. And the dream in chapter 2 involves kingdoms that pass away and are ultimately replaced by God's kingdom. And in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was pictured as the head of gold. And so evidently Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like the idea that his kingdom's going to end. And so he's trying to edit the dream that God gave him. Um, He believes maybe in a little bit of sympathetic magic. Uh, Sympathetic magic is you do something and you're hoping that by doing it, you can influence the rest of reality uh, through a picture of the rest of reality. Um, And so, you know, you don't like someone and so you make a doll that looks like them and stick a pin in it. That's sympathetic magic. Uh, I don't recommend it, by the way. Uh, It's forbidden in the Bible. Don't do it. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's not one for obeying the Bible. And so he decides to engage in a little sympathetic magic. And he wants to replace the image he saw in his dream with another image where his kingdom lasts forever and ever. And so he makes a statue entirely of gold. And as I mentioned, he's not satisfied with just rewriting the dream for himself. He wants everybody else to buy into his editing of the dream that God had given him. He wants everybody else to buy into editing God's plan for the future. And so this is actually a very common pattern. When people try to edit God's plans, they try to get other people to buy into editing God's plans as well. Um, Wicked people aren't 
satisfied with rebelling against God. They want everybody else to join them in their rebellion. And so, you know, if you're working in a work environment where all of your coworkers like to take the name of the Lord in vain, for example, and you don't take the name of the Lord in vain, after a while they start getting uncomfortable with that. And they want to encourage you to take the name of the Lord in vain so that they can feel better about their own rebellion against God. Um, if you have a group of friends and uh, um, yeah, you have six buddies and uh, four of the buddies have decided to be unfaithful to their wives, then they're going to try to encourage the other two guys to be unfaithful to their wives as well. If you have a bunch of guys who are sitting around uh, getting drunk and they have someone with them who is not getting drunk, they'll maybe make an exception for a designated driver. But uh, this guy's not the designated driver. So they want him to get drunk too. And so everybody who is involved in doing things that are displeasing to God feels better if they can get everybody else to ratify their decision to rebel against God. And in verse 12, uh, three guys mess up Nebuchadnezzar's desire. And so after everybody has to bow down to the statue, the tattletales all come and talk to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, there are certain Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And so everybody's going along with the king's plan except for three guys. They get ratted out. And so a little side question here, where's Daniel? Because we saw in chapter 2 how uh, as the king had his vision of uh, the statue that he couldn't understand it and God sent Daniel to interpret the king's vision for him. And we know for things that happen, we know from things that happen other places in the book of Daniel that Daniel's not a guy that will just go along to go along. We know that he will stand up for the truth even if it costs him his life. So why when the orchestra is playing, aren't they saying, hey, there's four guys here who would not bow down. There's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And my theory on this, and this is not inspired scripture, so feel free not to believe this. Feel free to have your own opinion. Uh, this is just a, a little sidelight, no extra charge. My theory on this is the king knew Daniel wasn't gonna go along with it. Um, and he kinda liked Daniel. So he found urgent business out of town for Daniel to take care of as far away as possible, sent Daniel off. Hey, you know, uh, tax revenue from 
That province over there is down two cents. I want you to go check it out, Daniel. I know it's going to take you two months to get there and back, but uh, that's the way it goes. Have a good journey. And so Daniel sent off, at biz- off on business, but the king either forgot that Daniel had asked him to appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to other business, uh, I mean to be active in the kingdom, or the king thought, well, you know that Daniel, he's a pretty stand-up guy, but I think I can probably manipulate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do what I want them to do. And so whether he forgot or whether he thought he could uh, get them to bow the knee, he didn't get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prior to this event. And so uh, suddenly the king has three people that are messing up his party. Here everybody's supposed to be uh, ratifying his new plan for the future. That is better than God's plan for the future. And three guys aren't going along with a plan. And so uh, in verses 16 to 18, we see how the king responds. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, oh wait, here, 16 to 18. I'm supposed to be in 12. Ah, no, I finally got it figured out. I'm skipping some verses. And so the king told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied in verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And so, as the king's saying, okay, you either have to worship my image or I'm going to throw you into the furnace, the three men give him a twofold answer. And the twofold answer is God can save us, but even if he doesn't save us, we're not going to worship your image. And that's really a good attitude for us to have in the challenges that we face in our daily lives. As we are facing a challenge, we need to know that our God is able to take us out of that challenge. But even if God decides not to take us out of that challenge, we're still going to be loyal to him. We'll worship and serve him. Even if the fig tree does not blossom and there's uh, no olives on the, uh, no grapes on the vine and the labor of the olive fails and the uh, field doesn't yield any food and the flock is cut off from the stall and uh, there's no sheep, uh, I will still rejoice in the Lord and I will worship the God of my salvation. Because God has a plan for us and God's plan is good. And sometimes things don't look good and we think we have a great solution that God ought to ratify and God's got a better plan for us 
Not an easier plan for us, but a better plan for us than the one that we would have chosen for ourselves. And so Nebuchadnezzar did have them tied up in their own clothing. He had them thrown into the furnace. Verses 24 and 25 tell us what happened next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And so three men were thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar sees four. And according to verse 25, the fourth is like the Son of God. And so when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, Jesus went into the fire with them. So when we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is generally a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pre-incarnate means before he had a body, before he became human like us, before he was born to the Virgin Mary. He still existed from all eternity past, God the eternal son. And as such, he was able to reveal himself to mankind and did so on many occasions in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. And so uh, Jesus is there in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, they're walking around uh, having a conversation, you know, kind of warm this time of year. Glad for the air conditioning system that you've arranged for us and uh, really helps things out. And they're walking around in there. Jesus was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their time of greatest need. And uh, when we're in our time of greatest need, if we're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus is with us in our time of greatest need as well. If we receive a scary medical diagnosis, if we have a wayward child, uh, if we're facing a financial challenge, uh, whatever sort of need we may be experiencing, God is able to intervene on our behalf and able in order to help us. Jesus is with us in our time of need. God's powerful enough to heal us if we are ill. He's powerful enough to draw our wayward child to repentance. He is rich enough to provide for our financial need. He is able to help us no matter what challenge we are facing. But if God does not respond in the way that we might wish, we can still trust him anyway. We can remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, that the apostle Paul is suffering. And he is suffering from a satanically inspired physical ailment. 
and it's causing him an extreme amount of pain. And so the Apostle Paul goes to the Lord in prayer. And three times he prays, God, deliver me from this terrible pain, this terrible ailment that is plaguing me. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And sometimes the greatest blessings come not when God answers our prayers for deliverance, but instead when we experience his presence with us in the midst of the trial. And suddenly we find out that having God's presence with us in the midst of a trial is better than not having a trial. And with all of that as background, I come to one of the main questions that I wanted to get to in the message. And that is, who did God deliver through the fiery furnace? And of course, if you're on a game show and they say, for $500 in Daniel chapter 3, who did God deliver from the fiery furnace? you're going to want to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I'd like to suggest that there is an even better answer that game shows can't comprehend. Because if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had died in the fiery furnace, then angels would have taken their souls to paradise And they would have remained there celebrating with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the other saints that had gone before them until the time came when uh, Jesus died on the cross and he descended into the place of the dead uh, and he brought the people who were in paradise with him as he rose and then, then their souls were together with Jesus in heaven. And they're going to remain there until the time comes when Jesus comes again. And at that time, he will raise up their bodies from the grave. And he will give them perfect bodies that will never grow old and never be sick and uh, never experience pain, will never die. And uh, in those glorified bodies, they will be able to rejoice with God and God's people for all of eternity and to be all that they were created to be for all of eternity. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing a brief time of extreme pain followed by an eternity of joy. And so, yeah, God delivered them, but uh, he was going to deliver them either way. I'd like to suggest to you it was actually Nebuchadnezzar that was in the greatest danger He was not yet trusting in God. He was in direct rebellion to the plan that God had revealed to him. And unless he repented, he was headed for the lake of fire. And so the deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was designed to have a bigger impact on Nebuchadnezzar's long-term 
future than it was to have an impact on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's long-term future. Their long-term future was the same either way. Nebuchadnezzar was facing a much greater fiery furnace than the one that was standing on the plain of Dura. His future was in the balance, his eternal future. And God in his mercy was working to bring Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. And so if God had allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to burn up in the furnace, it wouldn't have harmed them much, but it would have harmed Nebuchadnezzar a lot. And by delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace, God had a step in his plan for working in Nebuchadnezzar's heart to draw Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. A plan that will be completed in chapter four if you want to go on and see how everything happens. So God in his mercy is working to deliver Nebuchadnezzar through the fiery furnace. And so then in conclusion, I'd like to just draw three main points from this passage of scripture that we've been looking at today. The first is that God can protect his people. The world around us often looks scary, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't need to be afraid. Like them, God will be with us in the fire. And we can think of the words of God to Israel in Isaiah 43, verse 2, that also apply to us as his people. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. No matter what we face in life, if we are God's children, we know that we are safe in his hands. The second thing I'd like to emphasize from the passage that we looked at today is that God wants to save lost people. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man. He was shaking his fist in the face of God. He was saying, hey, you think you're God and control the future? I'm going to control the future. I'm going to bend the future to my plan, and there's nothing you can do about it. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, if I throw you in the fiery furnace, what God can deliver you from my hand? And he found out. God loved Nebuchadnezzar so much that he sent his only begotten son so that Nebuchadnezzar might believe and be saved. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, he sent him twice. He sent him once into the fiery furnace so that Nebuchadnezzar could see him there and it could be a step toward his repentance. And then he sent him a second time so that he could be born as a baby lived the perfect life that Nebuchadnezzar did not and could not live, die on the cross to pay the penalty of Nebuchadnezzar's sin, and rise again so that he could give Nebuchadnezzar eternal life. And so God loved Nebuchadnezzar a lot. God loves other lost people a lot. And may we as God's people share in his love for the lost. And if you can hear me, whether you're online or here in person this morning, and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, 
I want to tell you that God loves you and that he has no desire that you should perish, that he wants you to repent and be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about that, I'd be delighted to have the opportunity or other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that are here this morning would be delighted to have the opportunity to tell you how you can become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ and how you can be delivered from the fiery furnace. And the final main point I'd like to share today is that God can work in the hearts of governmental leaders. So I try to pray regularly for our governmental leaders. I was praying this week and uh, I started praying for one of our governmental leaders. And as I was praying, the thought came to my head, why, why am I praying for this person? I've been praying for this person for years. And this person is just as wicked and rotten and foolish as they were the day I started praying for them. Why am I wasting my time praying for this person? And then the Holy Spirit started speaking to my heart. And he said, well, you have been reading Daniel 3 this week, haven't you? Haven't you noticed that I loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to prepare to redeem him? And I love this governmental leader just as much as I love Nebuchadnezzar? And I'm just as powerful today to work in the heart of this governmental leader as I was to work in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar back there in Babylon. My arm has not grown short over the years. I haven't gotten weak with age. I am able to work in the heart of this person. And it's my desire that you keep praying for this person. In Proverbs 21.1, we're told that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it whichever way he wishes. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Lord tells us through the Apostle Paul, through his inspiration, Therefore I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And so, even though we look at the world around us and sometimes it seems like people in authority are out of control, they are not beyond the reach of God. And let's continue to uphold them in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for your love for us. That what you did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what you did for Nebuchadnezzar, reminds us of what you've done for us, that you took the punishment we deserved and you delivered us from a fiery furnace. And that in all the trials that we face in life, you are there with us in the midst of the fire, walking with us, protecting us. Lord, pray that you would continue to give us a burden for lost people around us, that you would put your words in our mouth and give us wisdom about how we can share with them so that they also might come to be saved. And Lord, we pray for those in authority over us. We pray that you might be working in their hearts and guiding them to truth. We ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.